You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. And now, stay tuned for the program that is rated tops in popularity for a longer period of time than any other West Coast program in radio history. The Signal Oil Program, The Whistler. S-I-T-N-A-L Signal Signal Gasoline Signal, the famous go-farther gasoline, invites you to sit back and enjoy another strange story by The Whistler. For extra driving pleasure, the signal to look for is the yellow and black circle sign that identifies signal service stations from Canada to Mexico. And for Sunday evening listening pleasure, the signal to listen for is this whistle that identifies the signal oil program, the Whistler. I am the Whistler. And I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. And now for the Signal Oil Company, the Whistler's strange story, Patroness of Murder. Paul Wilson moved about his studio, adding the final touches of preparation for two expected guests. Two very important guests. One of them, Miles Hubbard, the aging sculptor turned critic, could hold the key to the success of Paul's career. His nod of approval could mean a future of security and position. Without it, the world might never know the talents of Paul Wilson, sculptor. And Paul was certain that his second guest, Don Alden, had arranged this meeting for the sole purpose of getting an expert's appraisal of his work. But it was no gesture of friendship. Paul's meetings with Don had never been friendly. This one would be no exception. Paul was certain of that. Their cold exchange of glances when Paul met them at the door proved that. The forced pleasantries over with, Paul showed them to the studio. And this gentleman is my workshop. Mm-hmm. Fine studio, Wilson. Plenty of room. Good lighting. Everything a room can offer the artist is here. The rest is up to the man himself, eh, Wilson? Oh, that's quite right, Mr. Hubbard. The rest is up to the man himself. I hate to take too much of Mr. Hubbard's time, Wilson. 
Can we see your work? Whenever Mr. Hubbard's ready, I'll be glad to show him. When one grows old, Wilson, one learns the great wisdom of economy. Economy of time, economy of words, economy of emotion. Oh, yes, it's a great lesson to learn. I tell you this because when I look at your work, I shall have an instant evaluation. Either it will be good or bad, and I shall tell you immediately. It's an honor to have you here, sir. I'm anxious for your opinion. Yes, well then, may we see some examples of your sculpture? Now, please. Right now. There you are, gentlemen. My latest. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. There is promise here. There is not yet greatness, but there is much promise. Much great promise. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you very much. You mean it's... It's really worthwhile, then, Mr. Hubbard? Worthwhile, yes, worthwhile. But promise, that's the word done. Mostly there is promise. I'm afraid Mr. Alden has thought of me chiefly as a stonemason or felt perhaps that I should carve soap. I wanted to be certain, that's all, for Aunt Martha's sake. She's been financing your work for a long time now. She'll be repaid later. Perhaps, if you're as good as you've made her think you are. Uh, Miss Alden thinks well of the young man's ability, John. Very well. She told me the other evening she's planning to leave him half of her estate so that he can continue his work if anything happens to her. That's why your opinion is so important, Miles. I see. Well, he has the virility down. You can see it, can't you? And a strong feeling for material. There is much of Mestrovic here. You studied with him, perhaps, Wilson? Uh, not directly, no. Mestrovic? Famous Balkan sculptor, oh, yes. Mestrovic's work is very distinctive, entirely free from the French influence. You didn't study abroad, did you, Wilson? No, no, I didn't. I... Oh, it's you, Michael. Back from your shopping so soon? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry, Paul, your guest. My but... houseman and helper, gentlemen, Michael Dobovich. Uh, how gentlemen, do you do, Michael? Well, we must go now, Wilson. Economy of time, you know. <laughs> Michael's entrance was ill-timed, wasn't it, Paul? You quickly look for meaning in Don's expression and then in Miles Hubbard's placid face, but you find none. Perhaps they suspect nothing after all. You grow more certain of that as you see them to the door. Miles Hubbard repeats his appreciation of your work and you say your farewells. After your guests leave, you turn angrily to Michael. Why did you burst in like that without knocking? I'm sorry, Paul. I didn't know you had guests. Oh, but couldn't you hear us talking? Well, I, I suppose I did hear you, but I assumed your guests were merely friends who had dropped in. My guests were merely Miles Hubbard, the greatest authority on sculpture in the West. Yes, I and know. And Don Alden, nephew of Miss Martha Alden, the lady who is providing the money for us to continue our work. Yes, Paul, I... I didn't realize. And you're supposed to be my houseman. Yes, I know. Oh, well, then act like a houseman. Yes, Paul, I'm sorry. In the future, you'll have no cause to complain, however. I, I shall be a model gentleman's gentleman. Okay, see that you do. And never again shall I enter the studio unexpectedly. And, and if there are guests present, I shall wait outside for their departure, for hours if necessary. Oh, I know it isn't pleasant playing houseman, but right now it's... Well, it's the only way I can explain your presence. This studio, Miss Alden's help, is important to both of us. Of course, Paul, and I want you to know I'm very grateful. My food, my clothing, money to spend, a place to live and work. Right. 
I owe it all to you. Not to me, Michael. To your undeveloped talent. I recognized it instantly. Miles Hubbard simply confirmed my faith in you. It's a very great honor. Now, after one or two showings of your work using my name, my connections, I'll be proud to step aside and announce you as the promising creator. Yes, and then I shall tell them what a fine friend and benefactor you have been. Yes, I'm sure you will, but until then, for our sake, for your sake, I mean, we must both treat our arrangement with strictest confidence. Of course, Paul. Uh, by the way, did you study with Mestrovic? Mestrovic? Oh, yes. It was a great privilege. The master himself. I'm glad. I'm very glad, Michael. Uh, for you, of course. That approach has always worked with Michael, hasn't it, Paul? You've traded on his hunger, his fears, his insecurity in a new land. You won't mind exploiting his promising talent as your own, even though you've convinced him that his obscurity is only for a little while. Yes, things are moving along nicely, aren't they? And your situation looks brighter than ever. A few days later, Linda Wells, attractive secretary to Miss Martha Alden, your kindly elderly sponsor, phones you. Hello? Hello, Paul. This is Linda. Linda, you should do this more often. I feel better already. <laughs> Well, you'll feel still better when I tell you the reason for this call. Miss Alden's coming to the studio to see you this afternoon. Three o'clock sharp. You'll be there, of course. Yes, yes, of course. But what's it all about, Linda? She didn't say. All I know is Miss Alden talked on the phone with Miles Hubbard. Miles Hubbard? Mm-hmm. And she seemed very pleased afterward. You're sure? Quite sure. A few minutes later, she ordered her car and asked me to phone you. She'll be there at three, Paul. Yes, I'll be here. Thanks for calling, Linda. Well, Paul, the critic, Miles Hubbard's visit to your studio with Don Alden, Miss Alden's nephew, has rebounded to your interest, hasn't it? You know that Don brought him to the studio on the belief that the famous critic would brand the sculpture as worthless. Instead, he praised it. And now Miles Hubbard has told Miss Alden herself that it's good. Yes, Michael is a fine sculptor, isn't he, Paul? And a valuable houseman. You're curious as to what she'll have to say and decide it will be just as well if Michael is elsewhere during Miss Alden's visit. So you send him off to buy supplies with instructions to take his time. With Michael out of the way, you pace the studio impatiently until Miss Alden arrives. Then you lead her through the studio, past the small entrance leading to the kitchen, enter the door to your combination den and living room and sits spellbound as Martha Alden enthusiastically explains the reasons for her visit. But, Miss Alden, I can hardly believe you've left half of your estate to me. I've been thinking about it for a long time, Paul. I've had such faith in you. That's why I was so pleased when Don suggested that before I took definite action, Miles Hubbard look at your work. Well, I wondered about his visit. And when Mr. Hubbard verified my own opinion... I decided to go ahead immediately. That's why I signed the documents this afternoon. But your nephew, Don, if he didn't even like the idea... I haven't told him or anyone that I've actually drawn a new will. And I don't intend to, for the present at least. Well, 
Well, Paul, it's no longer a question of maybe. Martha Alden has actually willed you half of her fortune. The necessary documents are signed and sealed. It is hard to believe, isn't it? After Miss Alden leaves, you return to your den, light a cigarette, and gaze dreamily out of the window. You look up startled at the sound of your name. Paul. Michael, I didn't hear you come in. Oh, I came back a little while ago. I went to the kitchen. Did you? I got all the supplies. Paul, you have a visitor in the studio, Mr. Alden. Don Alden? Yes. Well, I, I'll see him right away. Well, Mr. Alden, this is a delightful surprise. Is it? Most assuredly. What's on your mind? I just wanted you to know, Paul. I've discovered the truth about you. What do you mean? That I'm certain you're a fraud and a cheat. In a few days, I'll have the proof to expose you publicly. Tonight's $20 signal gasoline book goes to Mrs. C.E. Grindell of Seattle, Washington for this limerick. Our old car had all it could take. There wasn't a hill it would make. Then with signal we gassed her. Now it runs so much faster, we drive with one foot on the brake. Signal, signal, signal gasoline. Your car will go far, will go further gasoline. <laughs> well, you may not actually have to keep one foot on your brake after you switch to signal, like the driver in the limerick. But your accelerator foot will thrill to signal smooth surges of lively, responsive power. That's because peppy performance just naturally goes hand in hand with signal's good mileage. So whether you're looking for economy or for sheer driving pleasure, look no farther. Just drive into a signal station... And fill up with Signal, the famous go-farther gasoline. You reel under the impact of Don's words, don't you, Paul? He's called you a fraud. He says he expects to prove that you're a fraud. You return his steady gaze and hope the fear and panic that you feel doesn't show on your face. You've got to keep your nerve, your composure. You need it now more than ever as Don continues to build his case against you. It seems such a coincidence, Paul, that your work showed a distinct Mestrovic influence, especially since I've learned through his immigration papers that your houseman, Michael comes from virtually the same section of the Balkans as the great sculptor himself. Well, as you say, a coincidence. This uh, cable I've just sent might interest you. I doubt it. I think it will. It's addressed to Mestrovic in Belgrade, asking a very simple but very important question. Was Michael Dobovich ever a student of yours? Your answer important to his career. Interest you? <sighs> it's too ridiculous. When I get the answer I expect, I'm certain Aunt Martha will see her protege in an entirely different light. The instant I hear from Nestrovic, I will tell Aunt Martha everything. You'll be finished, Paul. You'll be completely finished. Don's been quite thorough, hasn't he, Paul? 
He's always hated you. You've known that. But you didn't know the lengths he'd go to to ruin you with Miss Alden. You must stop Don. Somehow you're certain of that. But how? Hours later, you're still wondering and thinking. It's a sleepless night for you, isn't it? What are you going to do? Leave? Disappear before Mestrovic's answer can come? By morning, you know that if you leave, all your dreams of money, the inheritance, leaves with you. Your mind is tired from thinking and indecision. You have no answer, have you, Paul? By noon, you still have no answer, and then... The phone startles you, but you manage to answer. Yes, hello? This is Miss Alden, Paul. Oh, yes, yes, Miss Alden. How are I'd you? I'd like you to come to the house, Paul, as soon as possible, if you will. Why, yes, of course. Is, is something wrong? I don't want to talk about it on the phone. Can you come here right away? Of course, Miss Alden. You're breathless when you arrive. Miss Alden takes you to her upstairs sitting room where she asks a question of her own. Paul, who is Michael Dubovitch? So Don has told you. You can't believe him. It isn't true. I've done the work, Miss Alden. I've done it all. Michael is just what he seems to be. He's a student. Where is Don? I... I've tried to locate Don. I don't know where he is right now. But he has told me nothing, Paul. Yes, but then this how... This cablegram addressed to Don. I opened it. He's never received a cablegram before. I thought it might be important. It seems to be very important. You don't understand, Miss Alden. You must let I me... I didn't exp- understand any of it at first, Paul. I'm just beginning to realize. And it isn't easy to admit I've been a fool. But I have, haven't I? Please, Miss Alden, you must believe me. Paul, I... how can I... Your own first words when you came in told me the story. It had never even occurred to me that you were using Michael... What are you going to do, Miss Alden? You haven't left me any choice, Paul. I'll change my will, of course, but... Change your will? Of course. Surely you don't expect me to... You're not going to change that will, Miss Alden. Paul! Paul, what are you going to do? You're not going to get a chance to change that will... Miss Alden? Martha Alden's will can't be changed now, can it, Paul? It's beyond the reach of any change. Yes. She met her death when you pushed her down the stairs. And her position will make her death appear to be an accident. You descend the stairs slowly. That's when you see the cablegram crumpled at her side. The cablegram from the great Mestrovic to Don Alden, stating that Michael Dubovitch, your houseman, had been one of his prized students. Quickly you snatch it, and the bright flame of the library fireplace destroys it into meaningless ashes. You must continue to act quickly, Paul. You must get out of the house, and you must not be seen. You turn to go, and you hear voices. Someone is coming. This won't take long, Michael. Don't worry about it. But I, I don't understand. Why did you bring me here, Mr. Alden? I just want to ask you some questions, Michael. And I want Aunt Martha to hear your answers. Don with Michael. You whirl around. It's too late to reach the door without being seen. Quickly, you open the basement door, step inside, and hurry down into the musty darkness. You feel your way cautiously across the basement to the back door. You find it locked. 
You stop and listen to their footsteps overhead. Then you hear them move into the library. It's only a matter of minutes until they discover the body of Miss Martha Alden. Softly, you move up the stairs again. Open the door. You can hear them, but you don't dare run for the front door, do you, Paul? Perhaps we should not disturb Miss Alden. I, I don't want to answer any questions. The answers won't hurt you, Michael. I'm sure of that. Now, you just sit here, and Martha and I'll be down in a minute. Please, Mr. Alden, I, I don't like this. I have nothing to say, and Paul... Don't worry about Paul. He... Michael! Hmm? Quick, it's Aunt Martha. Oh, oh is she... She's dead. Oh, no. No, I... I'm Stay going... here, Michael. No! I've got to phone the doctor. Michael! Michael seems to be running now, out of the house, Paul. And as Don hurries in the other direction to phone, the side door is free for your escape. You dash out into the winter darkness. Michael will be going home, and you must be there first, Paul. You race down the dimly lit street. Hail a taxi at the next boulevard. Nothing matters now, Paul, so much as beating Michael home. And you do it. You're stretched out reading when he enters and pours out the tragic story of finding Miss Alden's body. You stand up well under the uh, shock, but Michael's overcome. Poor Miss Alden. It was so terrible, Paul. And, and, Mr. Alden, I'm so sorry. I don't quite understand why you were with Don, Michael. Well, I, I, I don't really know. He picked me up in his car and drove me straight there. He said there were questions. Paul, what will we do? For now, I think we'll do nothing. Don's taking you there. It's so strange. That's it, Michael. We'll do nothing. We'll say nothing. We wouldn't want to get Don in any trouble. <laughs> You're still certain Miss Alden's death will be called an accident. But if it isn't, if it's called murder, you're sure that you can put the blame on Don. You'd enjoy that, wouldn't you, Paul? His taking Michael to the house will make it seem that Don Alden was badly in need of a witness to uh, discover the body with him. That's quite a coincidence, isn't it? And there was a strong motive for Don, too. He could have killed his aunt to prevent her from changing her will to leave you half of her fortune, a substantial half that would have belonged to him. And best of all, no one knows that Miss Alden had told you she'd already changed her will. It's perfect for you, isn't it, Paul? It will seem that you had no motive whatever, that it was to your interest for Miss Alden to live. You turn on the radio to await developments an hour later. Police have announced that the death of wealthy Miss Martha Alden, previously tabbed accidental, is now believed to be murder. Details are fragmentary, but the position of the body and identifying marks on the staircase have prompted police to begin questioning all concerned. They call it murder now, Paul. They've been questioning everyone concerned, and they're making a sudden decision. Well, you've got to go to the police before they come to you. You have a story to tell them, haven't you, Paul? A story you're certain will convince them that you're innocent and Don Alden is guilty of Martha Alden's murder. Reaching homicide, you stage a nice act. You came in the interest of justice, and the lieutenant seems interested. That's why I came as soon as I heard, Lieutenant Hegstrom. I want to help all I can. Thanks. You know Mr. Alden here, I suppose? Don Alden... 
I'm glad you have him here, Lieutenant. There's your man, Lieutenant. Paul Wilson. My Ah, just a minute. I'll do all the accusing here. Either of you could have done it. Under the circumstances, I'm sure one of you did. Now, look here, Lieutenant. And now, just a minute. The more I look at this thing, the more I'm sure it's a matter of motive. Find the motive, and you find the man. Don has all the motive in the world. He knew Miss Alden was going to change her will and leave me half of her estate. Before she could do it, he... Yes, it's true. He told me so himself. That's true. You see, I had no motive at all. I had everything to gain by her living. She was planning to make me one of her heirs. What about that, Mr. Alden? Wilson had to kill her. Before she discovered he was a fraud, I had the evidence. I'm not a fraud, and even if I were, what good would it have done me to kill Miss Alden? Her living would have given me exactly what her death gave you, her money. Alden was there. He even took Michael along as a witness to help him discover the body. He had the motive. What more do you want, Lieutenant? Not much. You know, Mr. Alden, if I were you, I'd be thinking up some answers for the D.A. While watching some Christmas shoppers the other day, I couldn't help feeling it's too bad folks aren't as careful in selecting their motor oil as they are in selecting Christmas gifts. If they were, a lot more drivers would switch to Signal Premium Compounded Motor Oil, the improved type oil that does so much more than just lubricate. You see, because Signal Premium combines scientific compounds with 100% pure paraffin base, it does things for your motor which the finest oil alone cannot do. One of these compounds, for instance, specifically prevents destructive corrosion inside your motor. Another compound in Signal Premium actually washes out harmful carbon. And still other compounds help in other important ways to keep wear down and performance up. So if you want to keep your motor young, get your next oil change at a Signal service station. Change to the improved type oil that does so much more than just lubricate. Signal Premium Compounded Motor Oil. You're in the clear now, Paul. You're certain Lieutenant Hegstrom is convinced of Don's guilt. Find the motive, and you find the man. That's what he said, Paul. You're pleased, aren't you? And you know the story by heart that will convict Don as you tell it to the police stenographer for the permanent record. You've just finished and started to go when... Uh, just one more detail, Wilson. Come back a moment, will you? Of course, Lieutenant. Glad to. Why, Michael. Yes, Paul. Paul, I, I, I've been so worried about you. Michael seems to be a very loyal servant, Wilson. Yes. Yes, he is. You needn't have worried, Michael. I'm just fine. Oh, but he has worried, Wilson. He's worried a great deal. He even thought we might be holding you for the murder. And he came here with something he says proves you couldn't have done it. Well, that's very nice, I'm sure, but... Go on, Michael. Tell him what you just told me. Yes, sir. Uh, I, I told him you could not have done it, Paul. I told him you wouldn't have done it. I, how much you thought of Miss Alden after she'd been so kind... How she'd changed her will, left you half of her money. But, Michael, how did... Go on, Michael. Tell Wilson how you knew Miss Alden had already changed her will. You remember, Paul? You told me not ever to burst in on you when you had guests. 
So that day Miss Alden came to see you, I waited outside the room. I did not burst in, but I couldn't help hearing her tell you she changed her will that afternoon to give you half her money. Paul? Paul, have I done something wrong? I'll answer that, Michael. You've done something right. Alden told the truth. He's the one without a motive. You lied, Wilson. You had the motive. But, Lieutenant, I You never... knew Miss Alden had already put you into her will. You killed her to keep her from cutting out, uh, out of your will, out of your inheritance. Like I said, find the motive and you'll find the murderer. Let that whistle be your signal for the signal oil program, The Whistler, each Sunday night at this same time. Brought to you by the Signal Oil Company, marketers of signal gasoline and motor oil and fine automotive accessories. Remember, if you would like the fun of having your friends hear a limerick of yours on The Whistler, the address to which to send it is the Signal Oil Company, Los Angeles 55, California. All limericks become the property of the Signal Oil Company. Those selected for use on The Whistler will be chosen by our advertising representatives on the basis of humor, suitability, and originality. So, of course, they must be your own composition. Featured in tonight's story were John Hoyt, Paul Avery, Gloria Gordon, and Paul Freese. The Whistler was produced and directed by George W. Allen, with story by David Ross, music by Wilbur Hatch, and was transmitted to our troops overseas by the Armed Forces Radio Service. The Whistler is entirely fictional, and all characters portrayed on The Whistler are also fictional. Any similarity of names or resemblance to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Remember at this same time next Sunday, another strange tale by The Whistler. Marvin Miller speaking for the Signal Oil Company. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now, stay tuned for the program that is rated tops in popularity for a longer period of time than any other West Coast program in radio history. The Signal Oil Program, The Whistler, transcribed for Christmas by the Signal Oil Company, 
to enable the cast and the entire production staff of The Whistler to enjoy Christmas Day at home with their families. Signal, the famous go-farther gasoline, invites you to sit back and enjoy another strange story by The Whistler. For extra driving pleasure, the signal to look for is the yellow and black circle sign that identifies signal service stations from Canada to Mexico. And for Sunday evening listening pleasure, the signal to listen for is this whistle that identifies the signal oil program, The Whistler. Whistler, and I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. And now for the Signal Oil Company, the Whistler's strange story. Letter from Cynthia. To the holiday staff on duty at the small hospital on the outskirts of a small town on the coast of Southern California, Christmas night was much like any other night. Not quite, of course, for the spirit of the season was in the air. A tree austerely but beautifully decorated in a motif of silver and white stood majestically alone in the center of the reception lobby. The attractive receptionist at the desk, who doubled on the switchboard at night, glanced eagerly at a dozen festively wrapped packages and presents left for her earlier in the day by various members of the staff. From the church across the street, the soft melody of a Christmas carol floated through the open window on the far side. The sound of footsteps descending the stairs on the right caused the girl to glance up as one of the newer doctors who was serving his internship strolled casually to the desk. Thought I'd come down for a little breather. Kind of slow tonight, Patty. Is that bad for Christmas night? What do you want from Santa Claus anyway, Dr. Andrews? A, a couple of emergency appendectomies? <laughs> no, I didn't mean that. I just meant it's kind of... Oh, sure, I know. And it suits me fine. I got two hours sleep today and eight hours in front of me here at this desk. Oh, that's bad, Pat. You'll never see your grandchildren if you keep that up. Mm, people were dropping in all day long. You know how it is Christmas Day. Mm. Good night, Patty. Hope you had a nice Christmas. Oh, I did, Dr. Peters. Thanks for the nice present. You're welcome. Good night, Doc. Good night, Neil. Yeah, Patty, it's like I said. A guy like you needs eight hours sleep a day. Did you get eight hours sleep today, Doctor? Ten. <laughs> you would. You know, you're an odd man, Dr. P Andrews. Odd? Well, how do you mean? I mean, I don't know. You act like there's something bothering you. Like there's something on your mind all the time. Well, maybe there is. Well... Everybody has things on their mind. You could still go out and dance, have fun, like the other doctors do. The single ones, I mean. Too busy. I'm still an intern, you know. Make it sound like a sentence. <laughs> yes? Outside line? Yes, sir. Oh, 
Here, Doctor, I almost forgot. Hmm? Maybe this pretty pink envelope will change your viewpoint. Hmm, a letter. When did this come? I don't know. I just came on duty ten minutes ago. Why don't you open it? What? Dr. Andrews, your hands are trembling. I believe your viewpoint's changed already. Yes, Neil, your hands are trembling as you recognize the handwriting. Read the return address on the envelope. The address of lovely Cynthia Walker. She's out of your life now, isn't she, Neil? No. She'll never be out of your life, will she? You're just out of hers. You walk across the lobby, choose a chair near a light, and stare into space for a moment. The memory of that last moment with Cynthia crowding every other thought from your mind. It isn't pleasant to recall, is it, Neil? The unfortunate accident that cost you your reputation, your position, and the love of Cynthia Walker. At the very beginning of your career as an intern in an important hospital. You remember Cynthia's thoughtless, angry words that followed. Yes, looking back to that day more than a year ago, it's hard to believe now that a few hours could have made so much difference in your future. But they did. And as you try to read the words on the scrap of paper, Cynthia's letter in your hand, you know that one man is responsible for it all. Charles Arthur Bennett, the man who lied when the truth would have cleared you. Charles Arthur Bennett. The man who called himself your best friend. The sound of an ambulance wheeling into the receiving room below shatters your train of thought. Across the room, a yellow light flashes on the switchboard. You turn quickly back to the letter. But your thoughts are blurred, and you know you won't have time to finish your letter before you get the call you're sure is coming. Yes, Doctor. Yes, Doctor. Yes. I'll make out the registration card right away. Dr. Andrews. Yes? Yes, Pat? Admitting room? No, Miss Stevens is busy. 412 has had a relapse. Oh. They're taking the emergency to the third floor. Dr. Graham wants you to go to the third floor drug room. What kind of accident? Car crash, traumatic and hemotractic shock. Uh-huh. Patient very weak. Dr. Graham wants you to prepare injections of sereptamine and sacralin. Take them to the operating room, third floor. Right. I was afraid we might have one of these before the day was over. You get any details? No, only it was an automobile accident. The man's unconscious, but according to the identification card in his wallet, his name is Charles Bennett, salesman. Who did you say? Bennett. Charles Arthur Bennett, Los Angeles. Because this is Christmas Day, Signal Oil Company has asked me to skip the regular message about Signal Gasoline so that we can enjoy a few extra chuckles over Christmas limericks sent in by you Whistler fans. Tonight's first $20 Signal Gasoline book goes to Mrs. E. Morrow of La Jolla, California for this limerick. Said Santa when boarding his sled, This year I'm using my head. 
It's signal for me. I'll go farther. You'll see. And over the rooftops he sped. Signal, signal, signal gasoline. Your car will go far with go farther gasoline. Tonight's second $20 signal gasoline book goes to Victor Ehrman of Long Beach, California for this limerick. A child asked his father one day how St. Nick went so far on his sleigh. The wise father replied, he can take that long ride because his reindeer drinks signal, they say. Signal, signal, signal gasoline. Your car will go far with go for the gasoline. <laughs> Our only regret is that Signal could not have added a $20 coupon book to every Whistler fan's Christmas stocking. But we do hope that yours was filled with all the good things you wanted and more. Yes, Neil, it's a shock, isn't it, to realize what's happened. For more than a year, your resentment of Charlie Bennett has smoldered. And now the girl at the switchboard tells you that he's here in the hospital where you're now interning, the victim of an automobile accident, that you have to prepare the drugs that might save his life. Might save his life. As you hurry up the stairs along the hallway to the laboratory, your thoughts go back to that night more than a year ago. The circumstances were quite different then, weren't they, Neil? Because although you didn't then realize it, that night you were at the mercy of Charlie Bennett. The night which began at a birthday party for Charlie Bennett more than a year ago at the home of a mutual friend. But as far as you were concerned, there were just the three of you. Cynthia, Charlie, your best friend, and you. Yes, Neil, things were much different then. It's a wonderful party. I wish I didn't have to leave right in the middle of it. Well, if you must, you must. I'll drive you home. No, darling, I've already phoned for a taxi. Now, this is the first time you've been off duty from the hospital in a long time. I want you to stay here and relax and have fun. Okay, but I might get into trouble, you know. <laughs> I trust you. You're a big boy now. Or I wouldn't have told you I'd marry you. Have you told Charlie? No. No, not yet. I... I'll tell him tomorrow. I don't want to seem conceited, but... Well, telling him tonight that I'm going to marry you, it, it just might spoil his birthday party. Yes, it would. By the way, where is Charlie? Oh, he's around. Over in the corner, I think. That island completely surrounded by the ocean of blondes. Well, I wouldn't think of invading that territory just to tell him goodnight. You tell him for me, will you, Neil? Sure. You really have to go. Oh, I'm afraid so. Jane's only in town for the night, and I don't get to see my sister very often. My taxi ought to be here by now. Now it's your night off, dear. You have fun. You interns don't get out of that hospital often enough. And besides, the champagne is wonderful. Anything you say, darling. <laughs> Reluctantly, you see Cynthia to a cab and come back to the birthday party for Charlie. You take Cynthia's advice, too. Enjoy a little champagne. Make party talk with other friends, and you do have a good time, Neil. You relax for the first time in weeks. 
In another hour or two, most of the crowd is gone, and finally you even convince Charlie that it's time to go home. And in the lobby going out. Why don't you leave your car here, Charlie, and go home in style, like I am? What do you mean, in style? Leave your car here. Get a taxi. Hey, what's the idea? I can drive. Oh, don't tell me the good doctor's in his cups from a little champagne. Oh, no, no, <laughs> not really, but I just don't want to do any driving, that's all. Well, you don't have to do any. A little bit of champagne didn't bother me. <laughs> Look, tell you what, hmm? we live close to each other. We'll use your car and... Yeah, I'll pick mine up tomorrow. I'd sure rather take a taxi. Oh, aren't any taxis around anyway? There's a stand about three blocks away. Not at night, Neil. Oh, besides, you'll need your car to get to the hospital in the morning. Come on, Neil, boy. <laughs> I'm okay. Uh, all right, if you're sure. Let's go. But take it easy now. Once in the car, you make one more effort to talk Charlie out of driving, but to no avail. You're getting a little weary of the slight argument, so you let him drive your car. And after the first few blocks, you decide you have nothing to worry about. Charlie seems to be driving satisfactorily, slightly over the speed limit, but everything seems to be all right until he suddenly turns a corner sharply. That's the last you remember for a little while. When you open your eyes, you feel a dizziness, a dull pain at your temple, and someone's talking somewhere. Come on, fella. That's it. Come on, boy. Come on. Here. Are you hurt? Hurt? Oh, no. I, uh, no, officer. I, no. Uh, not much, I guess. Just a bump on the head. Uh, hey, that lamppost made quite an impression on your car, though. What's the idea of driving like that? Uh, oh, me? Charlie was driving. Oh, Charlie was driving. Yeah, he's... He's gone? He sure is absent. Say, you're a little on the woozy side, friend. Well, Charlie, where, where's Charlie? Hey, come on, chum. That's enough about Charlie. Now, how much have you had to drink, anyway? I haven't had much to drink. Look here, officer. Charlie was here. I know he was here. No one was here, chum. I heard the crash around the corner and came straight here. No Charlie, no nobody. Just you and the little man who wasn't here. But he couldn't have gone. Charlie! Yeah, that's all, chum. We got a swell place downtown where you can uh, sleep on it, huh? <laughs> It's like a nightmare, isn't it, Neil? You're bewildered and confused by what's happened. It's all a mistake, isn't it? A horrible mistake. And Charlie will show up soon and explain everything. Then you're booked at police headquarters and spend the rest of the night pacing back and forth in jail. Finally, in the early morning, someone is there to put up your bail. <laughs> Hello, Cynthia. Hello, Neil. I, I came as quickly as I could. Thanks. Thanks for... Uh springing me. Come along, Neil. I'll drive you home. How did you find out I was here? Well, the whole story is in the morning papers. And it mentions your connection with the hospital, too. Yeah, I suppose so. Dr. Rogers called me about it. He, he was quite concerned. Well, he needn't have been. We'll get this whole thing cleared up in no time. No time at all. Oh, I, I hope so, Neil. Sure. As soon as I see Charlie Bennett. Charlie? Yeah, you'll tell him what really happened. He was driving the car. It was all his fault. I was just... What's the matter, Cynthia? Why are you looking at me like that? Well, I... I've already talked with Charlie. Well, he told you then how it really happened. Charlie said he wasn't with you last night when it happened. He took a cab. He went home alone. 
It leaves you stunned, doesn't it, Neil? You're certain there must be some mistake. But once Charlie understands how much it means to you, he'll realize what's happened and tell the truth. It's too late to prevent the unfavorable publicity for the hospital. But at least you could be cleared in Dr. Rogers' eyes and in Cynthia's. You see Cynthia safely home and then take a taxi directly to Charlie's apartment. He isn't there. But the desk clerk lets you in and you settle down to wait and to think. Nearly two hours later, a key sounds in the door. Neil. Hiya, pal. Why don't you tell me you were coming? I would have waited. I didn't plan on it. The desk clerk let me in. You talked to Cynthia on the phone this morning, didn't you, Charlie? Cynthia? Yeah, crack it on, naturally. She was worried about you. Naturally. And what did you tell her? Oh, that's what's worrying you, huh? Well, I didn't really mean to do it, Neil, but I had to. Uh, want a drink? No. Mind if I have one? Look, Charlie, I'm trying to give you a chance to explain. Okay, okay. No reason to get sore. You lied to Cynthia. Why? Well, I told you I had to. You know, as a salesman, I have to drive a car to make a living, What's Neil? that got to do with it? Only everything, that's all. Look, Neil, I didn't bother to mention it to anyone, but I was in a scrape three weeks ago. I got hauled up for driving under the weather. I got off with a fine and a warning that time. Wait a minute. You mean you deliberately let me take the rap for your accident last night? I tell you, I couldn't help it. Do you know what a spot this has put me in? The hospital has a reputation they're pretty jealous of, you know. Sure, and I've got a job. And so have I. I think you'd better put down that drink and get your coat on, Charlie. Why? Because you're coming with me to explain to Dr. Rogers. Then we're going together to see Cynthia. Oh, what good would that do? It's all over now, Neil. You mean you're refusing? I mean I went home in a taxi last night alone. Told my story once and I don't see anything to gain by changing it now. Suddenly it occurs to you that Charlie has a more important reason for lying. His job is only part of it. He's always wanted to marry Cynthia, too, despite your long friendship. He believes that anything's fair in love or war. It's as simple as that. And with you out of the way, he's sure he'll have a clear field. And Cynthia, after all this, what about Cynthia, Neil? You have to be sure. Can you be sure of Cynthia now? Neil, I, I just can't understand it. You don't believe me, do you? But you do believe Charlie. Why would he lie about a thing like this? Because with me out of the way, he thinks he could marry you. Neil, I've known Charlie for years. He wouldn't do a thing like that. Besides, he's your best friend. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's proved that, hasn't he? Neil, aren't you forgetting that Charlie wasn't found in the wreck? That you were? You all alone? Your story is... Well, it's too fantastic. The police don't believe it. And Charlie says it couldn't have been that way. And you, Cynthia... What do you say? Oh, Neil, what can I say? Do you think I want to believe this? And Dr. Rogers, the hospital, what do they say? Naturally, I resigned. I couldn't do anything else. I don't blame them for what they think, any of them. But I know I'm right. And... Never mind, Cynthia. I guess there's no use in going over all that again. Neil. You're not going. Well, why not? I don't seem to be getting anywhere. What's going to happen, Neil? Will you... Well, do you think you'll be able to get an internship somewhere else? I think so. I'm just as qualified as I ever was. My previous record was good. And I've learned a lot. 
Sorry this has been too much for you, Cynthia. I haven't you said You wouldn't that consider it... marrying a man you didn't believe, would you? I want to believe you, Neil. More than I ever wanted to believe anything. Well, maybe you will someday. Maybe you'll learn the truth. When you do, let me know. You'll be able to find me. Yes, it all happened more than a year ago, didn't it, Neil? You cut off all contacts with your friends in Los Angeles. You've often wondered if Cynthia ever married Charlie. And every time you've wondered, your hatred toward him has grown deeper. You've often thought of killing him, haven't you? Yes, often. And now on Christmas night, more than a year later, in a small, out-of-the-way hospital, fate places the life of Charlie Bennett squarely in your hand. The switchboard operator has told you that he's in the operating room unconscious, seriously injured in an auto accident. And you've been assigned to prepare the medication which will spell life or death for him. Just a little too much, or not quite enough. It's almost too easy, isn't it? Not the slightest suspicion will be attached to you. You smile as you enter the drug room and find another intern there. What's the emergency, Neil? Car wreck. You assisting? No, just preparing the sereptamine and saccharine shots. Well, it must have been a pretty bad accident. Yeah, I'm afraid so. You ever stop to think about the power of these drugs? Just the right amount means almost certain recovery. And too much or too little, oblivion. Do you always get this philosophical at Christmas? No, no, but I guess this case made me think about it more than usual. You see, uh, I know the guy. Oh, friend? You said it. What a friend. Oh, kind of an unusual situation, isn't it? A very unusual situation. You know, friends, we of Signal Oil Organization feel mighty proud and pleased that you have invited the Whistler into your home so regularly throughout the year and especially on Christmas Day. For all of us of the cast, I want to express our own sincere appreciation, too. During the seven consecutive years that The Whistler has been broadcast by Signal Oil Company, many of us have had the pleasure of celebrating Christmas with many of you a number of times. And believe me, we feel it a real honor that you consider us a part of your entertainment family. Tonight, on behalf of Signal Oil Company and the independent signal dealers who serve you, in the states of California, Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Nevada, and Arizona. I want to say, we hope that your Christmas has been a merry one. May your new year be filled with peace, prosperity, and the good health with which to enjoy the many blessings of living in the good old USA. Well, Neil, the die is cast, isn't it? You've donned your sterile mask and gown and prepared the injection, carried them to the operating room where you placed them on the instrument tray without even a glance at the mask she covered patient. You note Dr. Graham's nod of dismissal and quietly leave the operating room where Charlie Bennett's chance for life or death lies squarely in your hands. You never dreamed you'd have such an opportunity, did you, Neil? After removing your mask and gown, you return to the hallway. Wait by a window near the operating room as the melody from the church again drifts in through the window. <laughs> 
You wonder whether you're glad or sorry at what you've done. Then you remember the disgrace Charlie Bennett brought on you, your shattered hopes, the happiness you might have had with Cynthia. And you know the answer. Even if you could, you wouldn't change the situation in the slightest. You pause under a ceiling light and decide to finish Cynthia's letter. And now, as another Christmas approaches, I realize how hasty I seemed in my judgment. Suddenly, your heart beats faster. As you realize she's still Miss Cynthia Walker, you can almost hear the words as the melody of her voice haunts your memory. But you were even more hasty in your actions. Your sudden, abrupt leaving, not letting me know where you were. I know now how wrong I was to doubt you. But even when my doubts were deepest, I loved you. You told me once a woman loves in spite of a man's weakness, not because of his strength. Remember, Neil? Well, so it was and is with me and you. I haven't changed, and I can't believe that you have. Merry Christmas, Cynthia. You turn away, stare out the window, Suddenly, you're horrified and ashamed that you, a doctor, bound by the sacred oath of Hippocrates, have allowed your hatred for Charlie Bennett to bring you to the point that it did. Finally, the door to the operating room opens. The still form is wheeled silently past you. You continue to stare out the window. You light a cigarette and wait for Dr. Graham to emerge from the operating room. As he opens the operating room door and enters the hallway, you walk slowly toward him. How's the patient, Doctor? Well, the patient's going to be all right. I'm glad you were around. Sereptamine's a godsend. Uh, may I uh, have a cigarette, Andrews? Oh, sure, Doctor. Oh, thank you. I wish Sereptamine had been available when I first started practice. <laughs> Matter of fact, I wish I were young like you, just beginning. Oh, you'll be a great doctor one day, Andrews. Will I? I'm sure of it. You're honest. Duty comes first with you. Why, you could no more evade it than commit murder. No, I guess I couldn't. But I almost made a terrible mistake a little while ago. A mistake that could have been fatal to your patient. Mm, but you didn't. No. No, and I don't think I'll ever be tempted to make a similar mistake again. I'm sure you won't, whatever it was. No, the practice of medicine's in your heart, above everything. Yes, I guess it is. Oh, it is. I've always known that. That's why I appointed you. Thank you, Doctor. Uh, when can I speak with Mr. Bennett? Oh, any time you wish. He's lying down in my office. Bennett wasn't seriously injured, just uh, knocked out temporarily. He was driving the car. You mean someone else was... Oh, our patient was the young lady with him. It seems they were on the way out here to the hospital to see one of our interns. She'll be okay. Doctor, who was she? Well, her name's uh, uh, Walker, Cynthia Walker. Let that whistle be your signal for the Signal Oil program, The Whistler, each Sunday night at this same time. Brought to you by Signal Oil Company, marketers of Signal gasoline and motor oil and fine automotive accessories. Remember, if you would like the fun of having your friends hear a limerick of yours on The Whistler, 
The address to which to send it is the Signal Oil Company, Los Angeles 55, California. All limericks become the property of the Signal Oil Company. Those selected for use on the Whistler will be chosen by our advertising representatives on the basis of humor, suitability, and originality. So, of course, they must be your own composition. Featured in tonight's transcribed story were David Ellis, Isabel Jewell, and Paul Fries. The Whistler was produced and directed by George W. Allen, with story by Edward Bloodworth, music by Wilbur Hatch, and was transmitted to our troops overseas by the Armed Forces Radio Service. The Whistler is entirely fictional, and all characters portrayed on The Whistler are also fictional. Any similarity of names or resemblance to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Remember, at this same time next Sunday, another strange tale by The Whistler. Marvin Miller speaking for the Signal Oil Company. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.